Hi everyone, Lucas Werner here. If you've been enjoying these conversations about art and culture, you might want to check out the newest releases from David's Werner Books, where we've published award-winning titles on Diane Arbus, Yayoi Kusama, and Carrie James Marshall, in addition to Ekphrasis, the critically acclaimed series of texts on art. This season, look out for books from the likes of Catherine Bernhardt, Noah Davis, and Marcel Zama, as well as new additions to the beloved Ekphrasis series. Visit davidswernerbooks.com to learn more. My name is Hilton Owls, and I'm a, a writer and a curator. My name is Angela Davis. I am a writer, um, professor, lecturer, activist. From David's Werner, this is Dialogues, a podcast about artists and the way they think. Artists can lead us uh, toward places that we cannot you know, possibly understand in the normal sense of understanding uh, and that that which we want can be grasped in a much richer way by artists than by those of us uh, who try to write the analyses and the political manifestos. Uh, and so I, I really appreciate Tony for helping me uh, understand that connection. I found that she was very emotionally, very direct, um, that she didn't have time for messing around in a certain way. And I think that that bears well in a writer, let alone an editor, because they they really want you to get to the, you know, emotional point of something quicker than your life lets you get to it, you know? They know your life before you, you do. Hi, it's Lucas Werner, and welcome back to Dialogues. What a thrill it is to kick off our new season with a conversation between two people who really need no introduction, Angela Davis and Hilton Owls. The two recently came together to talk about one of their favorite subjects and dearest friends, another legend, the late Toni Morrison. Before she became an icon of American literature, Morrison worked as an editor at Random House, where she helped change the landscape of publishing from behind the scenes as a kind of activist editor. This includes her efforts to bring Angela's landmark political autobiography to the public in 1974, which was just republished in its third edition this month. And Hilton has curated an exhibition all about Toni Morrison, on view right now at our 19th Street Gallery in New York City. It features work by Beverly Buchanan, Robert Gober, Julie Moretu, Carrie James Marshall, and many more. And it draws astonishing connections between Morrison's life, her words, and the artists she inspired. Angela, th thank you again for, for taking the time. One of the questions that I sent you, the first one, I, I don't think, I mean, there's, of course, there's knowledge that Tony contacted you f to write a book, but were you aware of her before she did that? No, I, you know, since I rarely meet anyone who has not heard of Tony Morrison, it feels a bit bizarre to say that I had not heard of her before she contacted me yeah. about the possibility of writing the autobiography. Uh, yes. But uh, um, let me say, she did not reveal that she was a novelist. So I, for a short while, I only thought of her as an editor. Um. And at her house, I remember seeing a copy of The Bluest Eye. Yes. And, and, and I asked her why she hadn't told me about... Uh, <laughs> 
her other career. Yeah. But then, you know, at that time, there were not very many Black women creative writers uh, uh, that I have heard of. I mean, I'd heard of Margaret Walker, Gwendolyn Brooks, Lorraine Hansberry, um, I don't know, Paula Marshall. Yes. Uh, uh, I knew who Toni Cade was because in 1970, she had published the anthology um, on the Black woman. Right, Black but, Women, which, which Tony edited with her, yes. And, but I didn't know her other work. I, I, I read Gorilla, My Love, later. Uh, yes. So I don't know whether I would have even have thought to uh, imagine Tony as a, uh, as a novelist. Uh, you know, it's, it's very interesting about that because she always said, um, they weren't paying me to do that. Um, it wasn't her job. Um, to write novels, and she was she was very careful um, not to to mix the two things. And I think also it took her a long time to give herself permission to say that she was doing it right. That one of the one of the moving aspects of her biography was that you know she was still at that job in 1981. She had done women, class, and race with you, right? And then yes, she. Um, Robert, it was Robert Gottlieb, her editor, um, she had handed in Tar Baby. And he said, I really think you can write writer on your tax return now that, you know, she was so afraid of not having the regular support of a job for her sons and so on. So, so it's interesting about invisibility and women of color in particular, not making that leap to say, I. Um, I'm very touched that she didn't even tell you that she had done that work. She had done Bluestein Sula by the time you met. Yes, she had. And, um, I, 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 I remember seeing Bluestein first uh, mm -hmm. and then Sula, uh, but, um, yeah, but I should have known, <laughs> I mean, I should have suspected that she, uh, was doing something more than simply um, editing other people's words. Yes. Why do you Why do you say that? Was that something that getting to know her showed you early on in those days, or? Well, you know what really impressed me about um, Tony and what drew me to her uh, from the outset was was a kind of ease uh, with which mm -hmm. she um, engaged the world, an ease mm -hmm. with which I could slip into conversations uh, uh, with her. Uh, on the one hand, I was totally impressed by her, her intellect. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and at the same time, she reminded me of, of, of a long-lost relative or yes. a friend, you know, someone that you may not see for a very long time, but when you do see them again, there's no awkwardness. There's no hesitation. You, you begin where you left off the last time, even though it might've been 10 years ago. Yes. Um, uh, and so I, I, I think, um, uh, initially that was really what drew me, uh, to her. Uh, and maybe, maybe that's why I had difficulty imagining her as, uh, uh, as a, as a novelist or as a creative writer. Yes, because it was, 
She was just a human, <laughs> you know. Yeah, who, yeah. She you was know, like who, a member of my family. <laughs> yeah, she was. She was welcoming you in, yes. and and so you. I would like to ask you. Um, I know that she wrote you a letter about the possibility of you writing this book, and she had said to me um, very early on in knowing her that she felt that she was an activist and that she could be an activist as a publisher and as an editor, that she knew um, that she didn't have the time with two small children and, you know, going to marches and so on, but she could do it at her desk um, in terms of bringing Black voices to Random House and, and the publishing world and in general. So what was her, as they say, what was her pitch when she wrote to you? You know, now that you have made me aware of the fact <laughs> that there was a kind of a deliberate effort to um, record people who were involved in attempting to um, make changes, uh, yes. uh, particularly with respect to the Black struggle. Uh, yes. You know, I, I think of that request very differently. Uh, at the time, I... Um, I think I saw the, uh, uh, the, the, the very prospect of writing an autobiography, uh, in a different way. I, uh, and I wasn't, I wasn't so interested in sharing my life story with the world. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. so that's, that's why I was, um, I, I was reluctant. I think later when I thought about the possibility of writing a political autobiography, Yes. Um, thinking that this would um, contravene, you know, what the, the, the publishing company wanted. Yes. I realized now that she saw that from the outset. That is what she was interested in. I mean, I remember you telling me that the first conversations were sort of arguments really about her trying to, her saying that you can do it and you saying that you couldn't, you were too young to do it. Yeah. Well, also, if you think about the very genre of autobiography, yes. particularly at that moment, uh, the autobiography was written by a prominent individual, right, whose yes. life had lessons uh, that uh, uh, I, I would say an exceptional individual whose mm -hmm. life had lessons that would assist others in whatever uh, uh, they were accomplishing. And I didn't see myself as an exceptional individual. Yes. I, I didn't see my, and also we have to think about the gendering of the genre and yes. the fact that uh, it was uh, a masculinist genre. Uh, yes. So that's why I had a, a very hard time initially um, thinking about uh, writing an autobiography when I was still in my 20s. Yes. Yes, and also this is something that people need to know about you that I um, admire and and hold on to is that you felt always part of a collective, and that none of this could be happening um, without others. And it's part of when people, if they listen to you seriously, you always bring in the collective. You always bring in um, other people um, into the story. So I can imagine. Her saying, her asking that would have would have put up a bunch of walls for me anyway. Um, 
But again, it was her, I think, her deep charm as a person and also the fact that she can make you feel very protective and seen at the same time. That when you talk about the autobiography as being a masculinist genre, here is a woman who is looking at a woman. Would, th would that be fair to say? Absolutely. And I don't know whether I would have um, I used those words at the time. I didn't fully understand at the time that, uh, uh, that I would say that the, the, the genre itself is, um, a gendered, uh, genre. And I, I mean, interestingly, I had just taught Frederick Douglass's autobiography, yes. the very, uh, the, 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 during that, um, semester before. Uh, I was arrested. Uh, yes. And I, I was also uh, studying slave narratives. Uh, yes. And as I, I look back, I think that perhaps that experience of, in, of, of researching slave narratives uh, might have influenced me to insist on the collective nature of, yes. uh, uh, of, 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 uh, an autobiography that I might write because slave narratives were always, uh, um, a collective and they were written, yes. you know, sometimes propagandistically, uh, precisely in order to share the nature of slavery, uh, with those who might join the abolitionist movement. But I, you know, looking back, I think that Tony must have understood better than I did. Know, what mm -hmm. kind of book I was willing to write and what kind of book I, uh, I might want to share, uh, uh, and, and the experience of working with her, uh, confirmed that. Yes. I mean, it, it, some people, she said that it wasn't, um, that in the way of working with students, working with authors wasn't difficult for her because a it wasn't her work but b it was fun to you know to enter mm -hmm. into someone else's life and imagination and just to help them you're only all you're doing she said really is getting them to where you know they can go and you had never written in this narrative way before on personal way before how did you begin. I mean, you began by beginning. I understand that, but you were also on the road quite a bit, right? At that time? Well, yeah, I was, um, traveling a lot. Uh, I was, um, involved in the process of trying to thank people for having been involved in the campaign for my freedom. I realized that, that I was, um, in the free world, mm. literally because of the fact that People all over had joined the campaign uh, to free me. So I was doing a lot of speaking, um, thanking people, but at the same time, I was involved in building an organization uh, that we called the National Alliance Against Racist and Political Repression. Uh, yes. Uh, trying to generate the same kind of uh, power and force to free other people. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I, I was traveling. A, a great deal, but I did take some time off, uh, to do the writing. Cause I don't think I could have, uh, uh, done the work that was necessary for the autobiography while 
uh, you know, speaking every other day or yes. you know, traveling from place to place. So, so, so I actually went to Cuba and oh. spent, yeah, uh, I was um, invited by the Cubans to um, spend, a, I think it was a couple, I think it must have been two months or so. Uh, and I was in an isolated area. I was um, in, in the mountains in the Sierra Maestra, uh, not far from Santiago de Cuba, uh, in mm -hmm. a cabin. And the Cubans provided me with a translator, and that, that uh, woman had a cabin. And so every day I wrote. I wrote all day long. I did nothing except um, take a, a, a long walk in the morning, and then I sat down. <laughs> and and, and, and I, 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 I literally immersed myself in my memories uh, and uh, uh, came back with uh, a really rough and raw uh, of manuscript of about 700 pages. Wow. Wow. And she read it right away, yes? And she read it immediately, yes. And what were the, what were the, what was the editorial process like? Um, you were, you had mentioned at one point that you stayed at her place in yeah. Spring Valley with her, and she had two little boys, and she was commuting into the city to go to Random House. Um, were you staying with her to work more consistently on the book together? Yeah, I, I, I remember bringing the, you know, the huge number of pages uh, <laughs> back. <laughs> because, of course, in those days, there were no computers, right? No, no. I had a typewriter, and yes. I had to, uh, and, uh, you know, I typed some 700 pages or so. Um, and she looked at it and was, uh, well, of course, it was, it was, um, uh, full of uh, memories that I never could have accessed had I not uh, uh, been away found and... myself in that situation because I, yes. I literally immersed myself in 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 the in the memories of my earlier life and then of course uh, the latter period. Uh, uh, but um, uh, she was critical mm -hmm. and and wanted me to be wanted me to learn how to write more evocatively. Uh, mm -hmm. And of course, um, I mean, when I was younger, I had tried my hand in writing poetry like everyone else, uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I hadn't shown it to very many people. But yes. then, you know, otherwise my writing had always been expository and analytical. Uh, yes. And, and so Tony coached me and, and helped me to write uh, very differently, largely by asking me questions that, that pushed me to think about uh, my experiences in a more evocative fit. And, and now that I look back on it, I would say in a kind of cinematic way. Oh. Uh, so she would meaning, always... Meaning, meaning what, was, what was the color of the room or what was your mother wearing or that kind of thing or... Yeah, yeah, all of that. Uh, but at the same time, um, I remember our conversations about the form of the book. And uh, I had felt really hesitant to begin the autobiography conventionally. You know, I was mm -hmm. born on January 26, 1944 in Birmingham, Alabama. 
And we both decided that it would be much more effective to um, begin in a way that uh, offered the reader some element of familiarity. So uh-huh. we, we began precisely at the moment when I was forced to, under, to go underground. And, and many people, of course, were aware of that because it was uh, all over the news. Uh, yes. and, and then I recounted the story of being underground, being arrested, my time in the New York Women's House of Detention. Uh, uh, so what doing yoga, s- doing yoga in your cell and yeah, all of that, oh, yeah, all yes, of that. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but what was so interesting was that she suggested that we do a kind of flashback to my mm. childhood. So this is one of the, the, the elements of the kind of cinematic vision of the book. Mm-hmm. So she suggested that uh, when I was being extradited from New York to California, and I was forced to take this um, plane ride, this propeller plane, uh, National Guard plane across country, did that be the moment when I began to reflect on my childhood? Uh, so in that sense, it, it used a kind of cinematic device. Uh, you know, while I'm flying across country, I'm also thinking back to my earlier years. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she, she made many suggestions uh, uh, like that. But in general, she, she, she asked questions uh, rather yeah. than... Doing it herself, she asked questions. Uh, that's, which a, was, that's a great editor because they, the point is, is to get you to speak, not to, not to make your voice in their image, um, but to get you to hear yourself, to hear yourself. Yeah, and I, I'm so thankful for that uh, because it probably would have been a lot easier for her just to uh, do the editing and put a sentence in here, a sentence there which accomplished what she was trying to get me to, uh, to write, but she didn't, of course she made changes. I'm not saying that she didn't make editorial changes. Uh, every editor, but, every good editor does. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What, when you you, I remember when we were talking in California some time ago that you, another thing that you admired about her was that, um, she protected you, um, in the publishing sphere. And I, I'm, I'm assuming that they would want more sensational information about your life. Am I, am I guessing correctly? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, fortunately I, I, um, did not have to be involved in those conversations. Uh, but I knew, I knew that Random House wanted a bestseller and I knew the kind of bestseller they wanted, uh, and I was not going to um, capitulate to that desire uh, for the sensational. And Tony knew that. Uh, so she was the one who had all of the arguments uh, and, and who uh, made it possible for me to write the kind of book that I thought would be helpful, uh, would be, uh, I mean, the kind of book that, that, the only kind of book that I could have written but uh, 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 the, the kind of books that would be of value uh, uh, down the line and not just as, uh, at the moment. I think also one of the things that's so beautiful about the book to me is the fullness of the character without salacious, ridiculous stuff in there. 
Um, and it was something that she, I think she protected a lot of people, um, by making sure that their voice was the first thing that we, we heard. What was it like to be with her? Uh, you've mentioned the familiarity and what was it like to be with her and her family? My friendship with her was uh, sort of grounded in a sense of connection. Like, mm -hmm. like she felt like my big sister. Uh, I spent a great deal of, a great deal of time with her at her at her home in Spring Valley. We traveled together. Uh, uh, we went to the Virgin Islands uh, to um, try to complete the final draft of mm -hmm. uh, of the book. Uh, uh, she went on the road with me, uh, the book tour, uh, both with. We found the some country. wonderful, wonderful pictures from then as well. Yeah, I spent a lot of time with her, driving with her to her office in New York, uh, dropping off Slade and Dino mm -hmm. at school. And of course, Dino is the surviving son who yes. well, most people know is Ford. And, yes. Um, family always called him Dino. Tony yes. changed at some point because I suppose uh, <laughs> he decided he wanted to be called a Ford. Yes. And I mean, it was a similar situation in, in my family. My brother, one of my brothers was named Benny. We all called him Benny when he was growing up, but, yes. but at some point he decided he was Ben. So we all <laughs> had to you know, change what we called him. Uh, but, uh, but I've always called Ford Dino and I still call him that. Uh, yes. And, and at Tony's memorial, it was wonderful, uh, to be, to meet so many of her uh, close relatives, uh, some, some of whom I had met before, but not all of them. And, and they all called him Dino as well. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. He, he also went to uh, UC Berkeley. Yes. So when he was at UC Berkeley during the four years he was uh, studying there, he spent a lot of time uh, at, at, at my house. Uh, so I also developed a relationship uh, with him over time. Yes. Uh, and, it, it, you know, now he always says, Angela, you know me practically all of your all of my life so i i really respect your your opinions you know who i am uh, yes he often calls for advice and and we we, we we've stayed in touch uh in that way um, and it's very moving isn't it very moving exactly yeah i yeah i just miss her so much i really miss her so much me too it's, and 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 she um she sent word to a friend. She said, I think the last time I saw Hilton, we quarreled. Oh, yeah. tell him I'm sorry. Um, and I'll see him soon. Um, I mean, she never let anything go where she felt that there was a ripple in the friendship or, um, she was very, I found that she was very emotionally, very direct, Yes. um, that she didn't have time for messing around in a certain way. Um, and I think that that bears well in a writer, let alone an editor, because they, they really want you to get to the, you know, emotional point of something quickly or quicker than your life lets you get to it. You know, they know your life before you, you do. I wanted to ask you about women, race, and class. Um, 
It's one of my favorite books. And um, was that the second project that you did together or was there something in between that I'm missing? I think that was a second project. Yes. I talked to her about writing that I did when I was in jail and mm -hmm. showed it to her. Uh, I had done a couple of um, extended um, articles uh, on the subject of um, feminism, feminist studies, uh, critiques of white middle-class feminism, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And so she knew that, 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 that this was a project that I was deeply invested in. Um, the relationship was very different around that project, though, because it was about research. This was a very heavily uh, researched uh, volume I spent you know, years in the library reading, you know, minutes from every single, uh, conference of the national women, um, the national women's suffrage association. And, mm -hmm. but Tony was also involved with, as an editor, I think, but perhaps also as someone who, uh, was interested in the subject, uh, with several other, uh, writers, uh, Rosalind Baxendall, uh, for example, mm -hmm. who, uh, with Linda Gordon, uh, wrote this document or compiled this documentary history of, uh, of, of working women. Uh, mm -hmm. so, um, and I, I remember reading an article that Tony wrote for the New York times magazine, uh, in the seventies, I can't yes. remember exactly what year, but you know, you, you I know exactly you which know one you refer to. Yes, yes. And so uh, we had been talking about uh, uh, the uh, women's liberation movement and the ways in which uh, uh, black women were excluded from yes. any sense of uh, the development of the women's movement in this country. So we'd had many conversations. Uh, and when I finally decided to, uh, uh, write, uh, the book, uh, uh, she was, uh, she thought it was a great idea. She assisted me with the writing, but in a different way from the autobiography. Mm -hmm. I think she m helped me to make the manuscript more readable, uh, mm -hmm. uh, and she helped me with some of the arguments, uh, uh, but I, I, I think she was almost as deeply invested in that story, uh, as, as I was. Yes. I mean, because I think that, um, well, one of the reasons would be that she had been an, um, before becoming an editor and a publisher, she'd been an educator at primary or all black universities, and then was in a kind of mostly all white male world where she had to say things like, I'm the head of my household. I, I deserve a raise too. So that culturally and politically, her feminism was born out of the oppression that you talk about in women, um, class and race, and also her exclusion, right? Um, because of gender and because of race in the publishing industry um, at that time. One of the major demands of the, what we call the women's liberation movement that was largely white and middle-class, uh, during mm -hmm. that period, one of the major demands, uh, was, um, uh, for women to be able to enter the workplace. Right. 
Right. Because women had been at least ideologically constructed as housewives and, 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 and mothers. Yes. Now, if you look at the history of black women, black women have always worked, yes. have always been at the workplace. Uh, and so we would, we would have to, um, think about how we might formulate, uh, uh, demands, uh, uh, that did not, um, impose a paradigm, uh, that, uh, was connected to the status of white, uh, middle-class women, uh, on the women's movement as a whole. Uh, yes. And, 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 and so, uh, there are often experiences that are diametrically opposed uh, when one looks at the differences between the historical experiences of, 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 of black women and, and, and white women. And we also have to think about the specificities of, uh, of indigenous women and, yes. and Latinx uh, women. So yes. I think, I think that job of, um, recognizing this historical specificity of the experiences of, of women of color mm -hmm. and how they were often eclipsed by the politics of representation of women mm -hmm. uh, construed as what middle-class women, uh, mm -hmm. um, so this, this is yes. not something that I completely understood at the time, mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, I can say that what motivated me to, uh, uh, do this work that eventually became, um, women, race, and class. Um, and I had many conversations with Tony about this, uh, was the way in which women were being represented within the black movement, within the, 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 the radical black movement, the, mm -hmm. um, as matriarchs, yes. and, you know, thinking about, uh, uh, the Moynihan report and the yes. ways in which that was taken up by so many of the male uh, participants and leaders that their problem was not just white men, their problem was white men and black women. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, so I had, I can remember when I was in jail having many arguments with George Jackson through letters. Yes about accepting this ideology that had been occasioned uh, by the production of the Moynihan report. Uh, That's right. Uh, so that, um, and then that, he eventually, he eventually wrote to you asking for forgiveness. Too. <laughs> yes, he got it. He yes, he did. Got it. <laughs> yes, he did. Yes, he did. Yes. But you know, in a sense, that book was, um, a history of the present. Yes. Even though it was historical, it was a response to the needs of, of, of the moment, uh, yes. and the, the importance of challenging the uh, effort to, uh, represent black women ideologically, uh, as, uh, the foes, uh, the enemies of black liberation, because That's black right. liberation was supposed to be liberation of the black man. That's right. right. That's and right. then, you know, there was that uh, saying that, that got repeated over and over again. The black man has two enemies, the, the white man and the black woman, yes. right? but yes. both, of, both of whom were intent on destroying his masculinity. That's right. That's right. And that was something that Michelle Wallace was trying to address. Um, and I think her book, 
super macho and the myth of the black, black superwoman. Macho. Black, black macho. Black macho and the myth and of the, the myth super of the superwoman. Yes. And uh, <laughs> I always get it I always get it backwards. And uh I think people mis miscommunicated her book and misconstrued that book. Um I wanted to ask, and it, it, this goes, this dovetails very nicely with Tony's activism as an editor and as a publisher, and then as a teacher. I feel that she was an activist um, through her work um, in the publishing industry. And at the, same, at the time that she was publishing you, she was publishing Tony Cade Mambara, Lucille Clifton, gosh, Gail Jones. Jones, Gail Jones. Yeah. Um, Henry Dumas. Uh, Henry uh, Dumas. Any yes. number of people who were making changes in my life as a young reader, certainly. What What was your sense of, did you realize that as she was going along that her project was getting bigger to you, that you saw the scope of it better? I was getting um, an education mm. of, through my uh, connection with her uh, that I never would have been able to get uh, 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 at, at an institution. You know, I was learning about uh, uh, Tony Cade Vambara. I read Gail Jones and, and so many of the other women of color writers who would completely transform U.S. Uh, literary culture. I got to meet Muhammad Ali for the first time. Yes. Uh, yeah, uh, and I got to attend uh, the book launch. Uh, yeah, uh, you know books by Huey Newton. Uh, yes, uh, and I, you know, I don't know why they called her I, sister Morrison, by the way, in letters. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. But I want to thank you for having that conversation with her because I think I don't know whether I would have fully grasped the the uh, the 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 deliberateness with which she mm. uh, was attempting to record the history of struggles for Black freedom during the latter 20th century had not it been for your conversation oh. uh, with her. Uh, so I, I want to thank you oh. uh, a great deal uh, for that because it really caused me to uh, reevaluate uh, so much and to it, it, it caused uh, so much to fall into place. Let me put it that way. Uh, oh, she, uh, um, when, mm -hmm. when, oh, I'm very moved, Angela. Thank you. And when she read the piece, I didn't hear from her. And I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> 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 and um, she invited me to her book party. Or the, the woman had a book party for her. And she came to me and she said, I rather liked the woman that you wrote about. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it sounds just like her. <laughs> and um, and uh, um, yeah. it was sort of like a common gesture of wiping sweet bed, sweet, sweat beads off my head. But, right. but one of the things that you're saying here that is so beautiful, though, is that the, the education that she gave you, I, I love and will always love the great naturalness with which she took writ that she didn't consider risk, um, that she made us all feel kind of inevitable in a way, right? That we were writing things that mattered to her. And so the inevitability of them being on a shelf or, um, us having careers as writers or thinkers was just natural to her. Um, so what she was doing, I think was reversing what, uh, systematic racism had done and which was to say, well, why, who are you? What, what voice is that? She was saying, 
those voices mattered to me. Um, when she said to me, I liked um, reading Ralph Ellison, but he wasn't invisible to me. They were my cousins and my brothers, and they had always existed for me. So I think that she made us know that we had always existed in some way. That's what the, maybe the comfortability was. And, and I don't think that um, uh, the presence of Black people in U.S. culture would be um, represented in the way it is. And don't get me wrong. I, I, I'm not saying that we are where we're supposed to be. We're definitely not where we're supposed to be. Uh, yes. Uh, but uh, but I can remember a time in my childhood when a black person would be on television, and if someone happened to be watching the TV, they would scream throughout the house, uh, uh, there's a Negro on TV, and everybody <laughs> would run. You know, yeah. It didn't matter who that person was. The, uh, but but it was that you know kind of uh, uh, absence uh, yes. uh, that uh, she uh, speaks about in playing in the dark that yes. that present absence or that absent presence uh, uh, and I you know I don't think this culture would be what it is today without her contributions uh, that's right uh, and she made it she made it possible uh, for uh, us all to. Um, uh, grasp that universality does not have to be raised as white. Uh, right. Uh, uh, that, as a matter of fact, perhaps an even more important universality, um, uh, a more forward-looking uh, uh, kind of, you know, futuristic uh, a notion of the human is to be found uh, uh, in. in in the representations of black people. Mm -hmm. So she did for the, the world, I think, this, uh, you know, remarkable job of, of making black people uh, people. Yes. Uh, of, when of, she of, said of, it was the melting pot of America and we were the pot. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so. The, um, condition, the condition of possibility for yes. humanism, you might want, you might say. That's right. Tell me. Before we close, I'm going to ask you a, a terrible question. Um, which of her books did you respond to first? Did, I mean, did you read The Bluest Eye first, or was it Sula? Yes. Oh, The Bluest no, Eye. No, I read The Bluest Eye. And, it's, and so, I, read, I read her books pretty much in order. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and what was, what was your feeling about her development as you read? Oh, I, I you know, just... I'm still so impressed. Uh, yes. And, you know, I go back uh, uh, to Beloved, to Jazz, which is yes. one of my, you know, favorite works over and over again. I, um, I, uh, and, you know, now I, I realize what a rich uh, life Tony had. Yes. Uh, and, and I realize that, um, that she was always inhabiting that other world. Yeah, uh, which did not make her any less present in the um, sort of the mundane world, the everyday world. Uh, but she, you know, I, I, I really miss talking to her about her ongoing work. And I had the opportunity to hear, let's see, maybe from Tar Baby on, mm -hmm. uh, she would describe what she was doing, what she mm -hmm. was writing about. Uh, and then later I would read the book. 
Mm-hmm. And it would be nothing like what I imagined <laughs> it was going to be. That would be like totally different. Yes, yes. So, so I, I just so appreciated that shock and that surprise and that deviation from my own imaginative capabilities that, yes. that her work uh, always performed uh, for me. Yes, it's a kind of lifting up, right, and sort of opening more windows and doors than you could even imagine in the house, let alone in the world. But it also tells you something about the imagination. uh, Yes. That you you can't uh, explain in a a kind of um, analytical way, you know, what it is you're imagining. Yes. The the imagination itself produces uh, uh, what is singular. Yes. Which can't be described except in terms of itself. Uh, yes. And, and that's, that has helped me to understand how people um, can be approached in terms of involvement in movements uh, for freedom, um, mm-hmm. in political movements. Uh, it, 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 it has helped me to reevaluate the role of the artist. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and I can remember many, many years ago, when I um, was involved in, in thinking about the connection between politics and art uh, mm-hmm. and, and kind of assuming that the political realm is always the most important uh, and that the artist has an important role to play in uh, helping to produce that uh, yes. uh, political realm. Now I think it's exactly the opposite, uh, that the artists can lead us uh, toward places that we cannot, you know, possibly understand in the normal sense of understanding, uh, and that that which we want can be grasped in a much richer way by artists than by those of us uh, who try to write the analyses and the political manifestos. Uh, and so I, I really appreciate Tony for helping me uh, understand that connection. And I, and I appreciate you for al- allowing it to happen. You know, if you hadn't allowed the experience to happen, both of your lives would have been very different, I think. Um, and then the fact that she would trust you with her child is really kind of an extraordinary thing as well, isn't it? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Angela, I just want to thank you again for, um, makes me feel very tender to, to hear these stories and to remember Tony. So thank you. Well, thank you, Hilton. I, I've so enjoyed this conversation. I, um, I, I'd like evoking Tony's presence again. It's, it, it, I, I, and I think during this period when, uh, we're confronting so much difficulty all over the world, the, you know, pandemic, the racism and all of that, 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 uh, uh, remembering, uh, Tony is, um, very helpful in, and kind of steadying us and, and convincing us that we are, you know, moving, um, in the right direction. Thank you. Dialogues is produced by David Zwerner. You can find out more about the artists on this series by going to davidswarner.com slash dialogues. 
And if you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It really does help other people discover the show. I'm Lucas Werner. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you join us again next time.